Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Constant Agitation. I'm your host, Jimmy, and as always, I'm joined by Eva. How are you doing, Eva? Hi, good afternoon, or almost evening, even though it's sunny outside, or yeah. still light. We are, it's getting tri- trickier and trickier every <laughs> week to set up the lighting, because now it's uh, almost daylight. And every week, what is it, like 10-15 minutes of daylight? And uh, next week is a full hour and something because of oh, the change. That's crazy. No, so it's going to be a lot of daylight when we do the podcast, unless we decide to move it to 7 or 8 p.m. We will see. Do you think we should move it? I don't know. Summertime? <laughs> I mean, Mattis is always late. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can have him with us on the podcast. Uh, Hello, yeah. everybody. I in mean, the chat. If the timings for summer, you know, people are doing more things outdoors when it's still daylight, maybe there's a point of moving it one hour or something. Yeah. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking maybe Mondays are a better day for the podcast. Mondays? Yeah, because everybody hates Mondays. So we can make a bright Monday? Yeah, maybe we can like... Yeah, that's a good idea. Add some fun to boring Mondays. That's uh, that's nice. I, I agree. Might be a good idea. Yeah. We will see. Maybe we can do a survey. See. Yeah. If, yeah, we will probably do something on Instagram or something mm-hmm. like a voting thing. Uh, let us know also in the comments, in the chat, whatever you can reach us. If you think Monday is a better day for the summer. Um, how else uh, is uh, things? Things are, are good. It's good yeah. that I can speak, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to use yeah, language. No, Today I'm, I'm not having a the most wonderful day up in my head. <laughs> I feel a bit foggy. Mm. Uh yeah, CM says Mondays work. Uh, by the way, uh, I feel like I forget to mention this every time. If you watch this later, not live, always scroll over the bar in the bottom. See, maybe we have timestamps. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't add timestamps because it's not so clear when we started talking about something and when we shifted to something else. But when it is more organized and sectioned, and especially on the longer ones, uh, longer episodes, I mean, we usually put the timestamps below. Um, but uh, yeah, what were we talking about? Uh, we're talking about the timing. I'm just reading that. Yeah, this Sherry also says Monday works for her, so that's kind of nice. Nice to know. Yeah, we will see if it works for us. I just threw that out there. We didn't even discuss it before. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I mean, uh, in principle, we don't have so many commitments in the evenings, like as a regular thing. So we can sh- shuffle around. Yeah. We'll see what we can do. But definitely looking forward to the change in uh, daylight saving time, whatever that's called, and get a little bit more of light in the in the evenings. Maybe mm-hmm. shooting some more outdoors as well. That's true. It's getting sunnier and it's getting a little bit warmer. <laughs> so. A little bit. Yeah, today was actually a nice day. If I, if I had the time, I would have gone uh, out to shoot and take some photos. Yeah, I mean, I was so excited about getting this light, <laughs> and then it broke. It it and now half broke, yeah. Yeah, it half broke, and soon it will be useless for the podcast. But if I can fix it, then um, I think it's always nice to have a little bit of feel light from that side of the apartment because it's so dark compared yeah. to the outside. So I think it, even if it's full lo- day when we're recording, it's definitely. Going to be nice. But that's the thing. This thing broke, so ah, yeah, that's true. We got this <laughs> this light, and it's uh, it has a variable temperature. Yeah. So it can be cool or warm to match. Now we have it in a warm setting. Uh, but if it's more bright outside, you can see like this side of my face is more blue. So if it was more light outside, I would match this one to be the same color. Uh, 
Yeah, apparently, but now I can't because it broke. <laughs> apparently, the sun is not that warm light as I kind of thought it was. It's actually on the cooler spectrum of things, yeah. or at least on the LED panels, the spectrum of light. And yeah, it is kind of bluish. So it's uh, even though we have the the vision, I think, of the sun as a yellow light, it's not so much of a yellow light. Yeah, it's always because it's it's always in relation to whatever mm, is next to exactly. it. So it it does seem yellow next to the shadow. Yeah. But if you put like maybe a, a halogen light mm, next to it, it mm -hmm. will that will seem more yellow. I guess I never tested it. Good old halogen lights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very inefficient lights. I mean, look, I don't know how much electricity it consumes, but it can be double used as a space heater. Ah, you mean the halogen lights? The projector. They, projectors they do. Yeah, I know. We have this stage light, which is incredibly powerful, very yellow. And also very, very, very warm. I was like literally sitting next to it just because it was warm the other day. I was like enjoying the heat coming out of it. Ooh, it looks like you're looking at the sun. Yeah, yeah I was giving my back. It's like sun tanning on face down, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, what we read is that 90% of all the power it needs to light is lost in heat. Yeah. So actually 10% is converted to light. So not the most uh, efficient. So that means it must be drawing a lot of power. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you leave those ones for many hours on the electricity, you are going to get a big bill, I think so. Uh -huh. They're going to yell at you from the electricity company. <laughs> Maybe. What are you doing? Are you growing something at home? Uh -huh. <laughs> so, let's not talk more about that. And uh, <laughs> uh, let's see if... Uh, we did get uh, a couple of questions uh, this week. One of them, I'm not sure if it was sarcastic or not. I mean, uh, you mean Tim's? Yeah. <laughs> we should say it just for the sake of I mean, I, being transparent. It's an interesting co uh, conversation to have, you know. Uh, Tim was asking, let me see if I can find it. How do you deal with the realization that you will probably never reach the quality and grandeur of the artist you show every week? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure about the every week part. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, how... How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question uh, because the answer is the same way you deal with everything else. Um, if you, if, let's say, if you do any physical activity, like any kind of sport, I like to uh, work out. We both like to do so. Mm. When I was younger, I used to play basketball for in school and university. I used to swim. Yeah, she used to swim. And I never became Michael Jordan. You never became whoever a famous... Michael Phelps. Michael, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and that's fine. That's okay. We, you, there's always going to be somebody who excels at things. And if you're lucky, it might be you. And I don't know if it's lucky or a good thing to have. Maybe sometimes it affects your life in another way. Mm -hmm. But that's not the point here. What I'm trying to say is it's pointless to try to compare yourself to other people, whether being in photography or any any endeavor that you go on, um, the best thing to do is to compare yourself to yourself before, exactly, yeah. and mm -hmm. see if you're progressing, if you're making, if you're improving, if you're happier with what you're doing. That's what matters. And uh, you know, man, different different people have different tastes. Like I might be a big fan of uh, Rochenko's work, but a lot of other people might look at it and say. Uh, that doesn't concern me or doesn't look like nothing to me. Uh, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he did great work. Isn't it like I say that if you're an artist and you please everyone, you're doing something wrong? 
I don't know if it is a saying, but it sounds right. Uh, so yeah, that's what I don't know. Do you agree? Uh, I certainly agree. I think the approach of just comparing yourself to yourself before and also not being so harsh because there's going to be better times and worse times and creativity and and being an artist if you're artist it's an up and down journey I think but uh, also when it comes to the specific question of like how do we feel about maybe never being as good as the people that we talked about I feel very happy that I'm in the position where I can talk about these people mm -hmm. as well and learn from them so For me, that's already a win, that I have the possibility to have this platform, to have you, to talk about these people, to share that with other people that might learn from it and being interested in it. Mm -hmm. That, for me, is the value in it, rather than me trying to be like they are, because, you know, this is what I care about. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole idea to... I think it's a really bad path to go if, you, if you're going to compare yourself to others, because... It's an important distinction to point out that not two people will start from the same starting point. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you if you look at ev artists, even uh, athletes, you know, you have different points that you're starting from. So let's say I was into uh, taking, <coughs> excuse me, I was into taking photos of beaches and stuff like that. And I live in an area where there's no beach and I never experienced the beach. How would I know that I will be able to, you know, be creative with that and have great results and great ideas that nobody ever thought of before if I never was in that position? Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very dumbed down simplification. But it's just, it's, I think it's always easier to physically think about it. Like think of two people, one is really tall and agile and the other one maybe not as athletic and, mm -hmm. and you know, just genetically speaking. Like me and LeBron James, I will never be as good as him. And that's okay. You know, like, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, the context and the possibilities are also different. Yeah. You know, like, I I think it, there's, like, no point to be miserable about something that you would not be able to achieve for whatever reasons that are outside your your hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, as you said, it's uh, it's really cool that we can look at that every week and study it and, you know, get inspiration. I mean, Tim himself said that he mm -hmm. was very inspired by... What we guessed that was uh, Fan Ho's work That's that what we I featured think, yeah. on one episode, and he found himself emulating it one way. I, I the same thing happened to me. I think I told mm -hmm. him, in, in, not in private, but on the Discord chat. Um, and I told you, you've seen the photos I took after that episode. Yes. It was like automatically framing <laughs> in a in a kind of a close way to it. Um, we did get another question, I think. Mm -hmm. um, thoughts on big brand companies jumping ship on analog photography I'm not so sure uh, what's um, a big company coming into yeah it? like uh, what uh, that question is by you know he asked another question uh, and um, I'm not sure what he means by that is it camera companies like we know that Nikon recently stopped making the uh, what is it the F6 F5? F6 yeah Uh, that was the last um, company that was making new uh, film cameras, mm -hmm. analog cameras. Um, we know that Leica is planning to bring back, or not bring back, but create a new, create one, a yeah. new uh, uh, more entry-level camera body. 
It's gonna be something like the M6, but stripped That's down of some. Say. Yeah, they say it's gonna be like M6 for you know more affordable budgets. Yeah, <laughs> I and mean affordable Leica is still super expensive, <laughs> probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, I it's it's I think that's more of an economic question mm. uh, than uh, than anything else. You know, there's uh, a lot of cameras on the market that still work, mm -hmm. and not a lot of people using them. To be honest, I think one thing that I can think of that would be very nice if bigger companies jump into the wagon or come into having some film product is that they could use their power of of advertising and their presence in in you know in the media and in the in 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 maybe markets that we are not able to reach yet and then if you bring these companies that they go into the analog wagon and then we yeah, can get people to know about analog he here's the problem the problem is as i said it's an, an economic problem because in order to make something affordable you need to make a lot of it mm. and when you when you make a lot of it and don't sell it you're just made stuff that lo that cost you money and never made a return yeah so if it If people are not buying them, they're always going to be more expensive to make than pre-existing. So if yeah. if I if I was about to go and buy an analog camera, and I can buy a working F3 versus a brand new F6, both Nikon, both similar, kind of, um, the F6 is going to give me like autofocus or something like mm -hmm. that. I can buy a used one, mm. or you know. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, it's gonna be cheaper than the brand new one. It is going and to be, yeah. Because this is still not as common as the digital stuff. Not as mm -hmm. popular. Even you can't force people to do it. You're asking them to buy film. You're asking yeah. them to buy to pay for development and scanning, and it it's getting so harder to do it. Hey, getting, maintenance. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's it's getting easier to do it at home, but it's getting much harder to get somebody else to take care of it for you. Yeah. You know, labs. Some of them are really good. Some of them are doing mm -hmm. it like back, you know, with a little effort. You've seen some of the roles that I showed you that I developed in various labs in Stockholm. Yeah. I got really, really bad results. Some labs were okay. Some labs were good. But again, time and money and all that stuff, mm -hmm. you can do it much easier, much more reliably at home on average, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure there are professionals that will... Like, for example, I'm not comparing the stuff that I do for, to something like Carmencita Lab mm -hmm. in uh, Spain. They're the top lab, it seems, in Europe at least, that's doing that right now. Mm -hmm. But again, there's no one here in Sweden that's doing the same kind of work. And there is maybe a couple, but, you know, it's going to take me time to send it to them. There's no one in our city, for example. Yeah. Um, There's yeah, less personalized service, I would say, yeah. because I think the the thing about Carmencita, the type of services they 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 offer, which is also, of course, you just send it and they will give it to you, but also for people that need a much more tune-in result and they are able to provide that for them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of lost in most of the cases. Yeah. And in order for more people, even professionals, to go and use film, those services are needed mm -hmm. in order to create momentum. So it's also all the structure around it. That's important in order for, for you know, getting more people, put the cost down and all that. Yeah. So I think I think that answers the question is it's a, it's a matter of demand. You know, he just showed up. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, we are answering your question about big companies jumping ship. And when it comes to Fuji, I don't know what's up with Fuji, but they just like to kill film. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think, again, it's a matter of economics. It's a matter of, you know, like, they they have so many different companies that they're running. And if one is not doing so well, it doesn't really, it's, they're not like Kodak. Kodak, they're a film company and mm-hmm. that's it. They do have uh, other companies that they're in, but film is a big uh, part of their uh, mm-hmm. of their business model but when it comes to fuji i mean it's a you know it is it is what it is um the s- last question that we got also from you know um yeah, i would love to hear uh, your opinions on i'm probably gonna put- butcher this name let me know in the chat if i said it right um bay bien you uh, one of my personal favorite photographers. Uh, I'm, uh, we looked it up. It's a South Korean mm-hmm. photographer. Yes. Um, we ne- we didn't know about uh, that photographer I before. I didn't, yeah. And I looked at it. I really like what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to look at some photos. We're going to keep it to the last part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first, we're going to jump into the artist that we chose. Eva chose this week <laughs> and she's going to tell us all about <laughs> what's happening here. I mean, all about all about I could find because mm-hmm. it's not so much, sadly, that I could find uh, about it. But today we are going to talk about, I I would like to call her, the f- yeah, she is the first photographer that used photographs to make a photo book, so to speak. Although it wasn't a photo book for the sake of showing photographies, it was a photo book for the sh- sh- uh, for the sake of of teaching and and having a record of something. So the photographer we're talking about is Anna Atkins, and she actually it's a very old photographer. She lived. Uh, she was born in 1799. <laughs> 1799 that's, that's a really long time ago yeah. and she passed away in 1871 and she was uh, officially a botanist mm-hmm. but i think at heart she was also a photographer for all the work that she did uh, with photography and she it was one of the first person to use cyanotypes as a, a tool as a working tool only one year after cyanotype was actually invented mm-hmm. this is like it's really cool because her um her and her husband were friends with a photographer chemist um, that was developing also similar processes of photographing or making photograms. Um, they used to call it, uh, I don't remember right now, uh, yet photogenic drawing techniques, mm-hmm. which is basically this idea that you photosensitize a material and then the, you use objects and light to create photograms. Um, and then she was in close contact with the person that developed the cyanotype. She learned this technique and then this is what she applied for her work. Um, the thing was that back in the days, you know, in order to study biology and zoology, botany, all these things that had to do with the natural world, in order to show it, in order to study, in order to classify it, uh, people relied on drawings mm-hmm. and in, on artists that made really, really, really real-to-life drawings of 
uh, specimens, basically. So specimens would be, there is a scientist around the world and he finds a plant or he finds a, a animal that they had never seen before and then they collect it, they describe it, they paint it, they draw it and illustrate it. And that's basically the record that there was of those species, right? Mm -hmm. Then she was a botanist and she had a really big collection of plants and algae. Mm -hmm. And then she was kind of thinking that there must be maybe some other way that we can find to rep to get records of these plants that is not just with drawings or very detailed drawings. And actually, by the time that she was thinking about this, there was also another author that was publishing a very comprehensive book on, on English algae, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he published that book only with descriptions. There were no, no pictures, pictures, nothing whatsoever. So she knew about this book to be published and she was thinking about, I learned about these photographic techniques or this idea of photo drawings, sensitizing paper with uh, light sensitive material. She learned about this cyanotype process and it's like, I'm gonna experiment mm -hmm. and try to put these specimens in, in a cyanotype trait treated material mm -hmm. and then see if we can get enough detail that we can actually see the differences between species and use these to create illustrations to classify them. Okay. So that's what she did. And she published herself. She was the first auto-published scene photographer <laughs> in, I believe, in 1843, which was two, one year after the development of the cyanotype. Mm -hmm. And she published this collection of 400 prints of uh, the, all the species or the species that she had with her. And that's the book that we have left uh, a link below. We, had, we have a couple of links. And I just think it's amazing that she just thought about putting this super new technique to play and use it in this way. And that book is actually considered the first book that anybody ever made with photographs. Mm -hmm. Even though it wasn't the first commercially available book that had photographs, because that came one year after by, um, uh, I think it was the Fox Talbot, I think, William Henry Fox Talbot, one year after. Mm -hmm. But I just find them beautiful. And I, I actually knew about this when I studied biology because we talked about this in botany class. Mm -hmm. So I kinda, it kind of just went into the back of my head and I was looking for ideas of what to talk about. And then I came across one of, of those bluish, very iconic photos. And I was like, oh, yeah, this woman that she did this, uh, we, should, we should talk about her. Because then we can also talk a little bit about what is this photogram process and this cyanotype process, which I think is really cool and I would like to try one day, actually. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about... Uh what cyanotype is hold on let me first switch to the um, view like so you can see what we're looking at mm -hmm. and um, here you can see um, i have this kind of explanation on what cyanotype is mm -hmm. this is now one of her pictures but this is basically a piece of paper mm -hmm. or other material it could be anything else uh, that is covered with uh, photosensitive material mm -hmm. And then here you can see this is before the exposure happened. So they leave uh, some leaves on the paper and then they leave it in the sun. So you take this out, you put it outside, you leave it outside for a while. Mm -hmm. And then you take it back in and you develop it and then you will get something that looks like this, like yes. the top picture on top here. And now we're going to look at some of the photos 
uh, that she took. Hold on, let me close these really quickly. And you can see here uh, the link uh, we left in the description, artnet.com. Mm -hmm. You can see all of the... Um, the information about every piece that you can find uh, that you look at um the date and what kind of species yeah uh, it is that's really cool the cool thing about using this method for algae in particular because you were showing the ones with the leaves mm -hmm. and leaves are quite opaque you know most of the leaves are quite opaque so they're gonna just give you you know the the outline and the shape and things like this algae a lot of algae are somewhat semi-translucent or because they you know like they don't have a like they are a little bit more translucent transparent and they are always in these wet environments and stuff like that so i f i find that this process is really good because you when you get this transparency you can also even get the patterns within the the leaves and the different you parts get more of texture the, yeah so you can get m many more characteristics that will help you using that kind of illustration as a classification illustration. And now I'm thinking of my biology mind, like how do you use this in order to classify, to identify, to be able to share knowledge about the different species. And it's really cool that she just thought, oh, maybe this actually will work. I think her compositions and how she plays the plants in the, in the prints are also pretty cool. That's very beautiful. And she did everything individually. Every print that you're seeing is one print that she made. Mm. Um, I read that over... 10 years or more that she worked on updating this book on plants and algae classification, she made by hand more than 5,000 prints oh. of the different uh, specimens on sampling, which is a lot of prints. <laughs> Very dedicated. But it's, it's certainly really, really cool. And I mean, I think this is a really, really, I mean, it's a relatively easy. Can you get these chemicals? Um, so, I think that it should not be that hard to get. So I've seen a video of a chemist who makes his own. There's uh, two. Cyanotype. There are only two chemicals that you actually need, uh, mostly in order to make cyanotype. One mm -hmm. is ferric ammonium citrate, and the other one is potassium ferricyanide. Okay. That ferricyanide it sounds to me like it can get some either has cyanide or can have cyanide residues, which might be classified as some sort of way that is not healthy and you are it's not easy to get it it could be mm -hmm. but basically what happens is that uh, when you expose this chemical to uh, uv light mm -hmm. uh, the citrate that is present in the ferric ammonium citrate reduces the iron from its three form to its second form right. and this follows uh, a reaction with the ferricyanide and this actually Tra transform it into a dye mm. so actually it's, it's it's prussian blue which is actually used in making paints and making uh, watercolors and stuff like that it's actually very blue and that's why it gets all these colors and then you can work with the process by intensifying this blue or reducing this blue or getting your whites to be more white that's like some sort of um, process um, modification to the process that you can do in order to get fine-tuning of, of the look and we lost all the viewers i'm just kidding oh, <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> no i mean uh, yeah i mean it's interesting to learn about these things and how they work and why they work i think uh, you can do so basically i'm trying to think of it think of it in like the simplest term possible and uh, this is basically like a contact print it is it is and um 
what I'm thinking about is how can you do it if you would like to do it uh, and the easiest way possible. What I've seen is um, last time I was at uh, Bruno, mm-hmm. I noticed he has a bottle of, um, what do you call it, e- e- emulsion. Uh, like Emo- that you can put, like yeah, like basically it's a light sensitive material yeah. that you can put in any surface. I think it was by Rolly or Adox uh-huh. or something like that. It wasn't so expensive. It was like the same price as a developer or something uh-huh. like that. Something ra- in that range. And I was I was kidding, Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I think w- with that, you can just put it on your paper and uh, make uh, fo- light sensitive paper that you can use to take pictures. Uh, you can also use for um, making prints. Uh, I think they're called gum print or something like that. I forgot what it is, but it's kind of similar to dye transfer in a way. Uh-huh. You can use it with like combination of uh, uh, silver foil or gold foil paper. Uh, so there's a lot of ways you can create your own uh, light sensitive surface. In order uh, basically, to experiment. Yeah, to, yeah, mm-hmm. to experiment. And depending on your emulsion, depending on the material you're using, you can have different sensitivities to light. Mm-hmm. So what I know is cyanotype is like very low ISO. Yeah, so that's on. cool because yeah. then you can work with longer times and exactly. do more stuff in, out in the light. So without, you can just yeah. take it outside, leave it in the sun for a few hours yeah. and that's your exposure. Yeah. Think of it in comparison to a film exposure or a digital <laughs> exposure. Um, basically here you have no aperture because you're leaving the light sensitive material mm-hmm. out in the sun. So the aperture is maximum, mm-hmm. zero. And uh, and then the sunlight is very harsh, and still your exposure time is in hours. Yeah. Um, but you can do it differently. Let's say at home, if you have a darker room, you have a let's say a less uh, a more sensitive material, mm-hmm. but you can use a house lamp. Yeah, I mean you can experiment to see how long would those exposure need to get some sort of result, not over like blown the the sensitive material. Actually, CM was saying that uh, they buy the two chemicals and mix them themselves and work on cyanotype, so it's possible. Yeah, but again, you were mentioning stuff about being, I being don't hazardous know or maybe hard to find. Be, yeah. I don't know. We don't have so much. Inf- we d- we haven't looked into cyanotype. Says Evan Jimmy, I can send you the two solutions and you can try it. Awesome. That would be so great. <laughs> that would uh, be great <laughs> to do. I think the cyanotype thing is just that it's a very unique look mm. because you are getting these blueprints which you basically are not getting because everything that is silver-based is going to be like kind of black and white, gray tone thing. Not if you used other material uh, to mix it with. Yeah, you have to. You will have yeah. to mix it. But the regular ones, like all the papers and all that, unless there is some toning involved into the process, I, I think it's mostly black base i guess mm-hmm. yeah um talking about this like using other processes to do similar things as cyanotypes this contact printing mm, this wasn't the only examples where where it was even discovered or used early on in the 1800s mm-hmm. i was reading about how these kind of processes were also worked later in we talked last week or two weeks before about the avant-garde Dadaism, Man Ray, they actually experimented a lot with these kind of processes. I was reading a very cool story of how Man Ray rediscovered this phenomenon mm-hmm. because either he wasn't very aware of it being before, I doubt it because I, I would think that he knew about photography quite a lot, but he said that he was working in the dark room trying to make some prints 
And then he realized that if he left some stuff in, in on top of the surfaces and then he exposed that with the light and then he so he got these weird shapes and forms and patterns that he loved and then he explored that a little bit more, making what uh, some other people coined the rayographs because they are like from Man Ray. But it's very similar process, which is just you put objects, you create compositions, and then you expose them and develop them. And that's what I wanted to say because it's um, it's a, I think it's a very nice tool to experiment with composition if you don't want to paint, if mm -hmm. you still don't want to paint, <laughs> and you know you find it hard to kind of have the world play right with your camera in terms of how you're placing because it's not easy, and um, you know sometimes. You have certain compositions in your head, but you go outside and you don't necessarily uh, see those compositions. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you can always, you can play with so many different things. Uh, you sent me this thing on Reddit the other day uh, that was basically somebody playing with perspective using um, just plain cardboard, Car cardboard pieces color, uh, and pieces, yeah. placing them in a certain way and photographing the... Uh, the uh, the two-dimensional type of composition yeah. into... Tricking a three-dimensional thing. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, uh, and using an apple as well to give it more like the apple is sitting on a tabletop, yeah. but there was no tabletop. It was just a piece, <laughs> a few pieces of cardboard arranged. You were with light and shadows and yeah. Yeah, so that, that in a way to me, that's kind of like what I was thinking that one can play with. With this, if you have objects that you can place them on top of a piece of paper, see how they look and then just, you know, expose it to light and then you have your your picture or your diagram or your what i read that is really cool is that cyanotype one of the materials where it's more common to put the dyes to do it is watercolor paper because mm -hmm. it is it, it absorbs very well the the dyes i mean the chemicals to then dry it and then you expose it to light so i was like oh i would like to try that you know you paint you can also paint with the solutions mm -hmm. in a way and then it's like kind of like what we did with the developer yeah, that's true um we uh, we did a test run when we were printing for the first time in here uh and uh, we did use the brush to brush the developer on the paper mm -hmm. so it kind of when it, when the paper um developed it left these streaks mm -hmm. another one we did was uh, we use a dropper to drop on uh, yeah, but I don't understand why the other one came out the other way around. It was really I don't weird. know either. We still we have to do more <laughs> testing before we can give you like solid <laughs> results. Uh, it's so beautiful. Those uh, those. Uh, it is true. I I agree. The fact that it is blue and that these blues that you get from the cyanotype kind of gives it something that is might be lacking in terms of black and white, even with a warm tone. I think that would make it for a really cool look as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you have an enlarger and you have some paper lying around, you can do the same thing. Just drop some leaves or objects on the, on the, you know, the the, the printing paper. Mm -hmm. Run your enlarger for a normal exposure, take it off, and then you have a, a print, a contact print of your leaves or whatever you mm -hmm. left on the paper. So that's accessible basically for everyone as well. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone who has a, a enlarger. Oh, Again, you, you don't can, need it. Yeah, you don't need it. You can just use a use a flashlight. Yeah. Uh, we uh, <laughs> talked, I think, one of the first episodes on about uh, Brandon Barry. Yeah. And uh, he makes these really big um, direct positives, uh, color and black and white, 
if you haven't seen that episode, check it out or just check out Brandon Barry. He's still active. He has really cool Instagram mm-hmm. and uh, YouTube channel as well. He's a educator too. Yeah, yeah so. he has courses as well. So uh, the way he when he does it a negative when he shoots. So basically, what he does, he shoots directly on paper. And if he doesn't develop it, uh, if it's black and white, it always comes out negative, and he has to make it a positive. Mm-hmm. And the way he does it that way is um, he puts the paper on itself, so the image facing down, mm-hmm. and with the phone, <laughs> just he just with the phone, shines yeah. the like the the light on the back of the phone <laughs> to expose through the paper, and that's how you get a positive image. So yeah, I'm rambling at this point. By the way, I think was it. I read, I don't remember what did I read. It was one of these like quirky, nice information thing that the first person that ever coined the word photography was also the person that coined the positive and negative, and it was related to to yeah. Anna Atkins. It was I one of the Talbot maybe. Put it in a dis. Uh, did I put uh, it? A note. A <laughs> but you also mentioned something else about the uh, regenerative regenerative ah, yeah. abilities, and I think the photo that we're looking at might be related. So, like, here I'm looking at a photo that is black and white, mm-hmm. right? Why? I actually don't know. I also thought about that. So, what I read is that the cyanotype prints have a very unique characteristic and uh, way of behaving, which is if you leave them out at light, they will fade away. Mm-hmm. But then if you put them for a little while or for a long while into a dark place, mm-hmm. they will come back to being vibrant again Mm -hmm. which is really cool (laughs) so do you think this is one of the examples that cyanotype kind of was sitting in the light for a while Uh, does it say anything because in the bottom it does say cyanotype yeah so i'm thinking maybe this is something that lost its vibrancy and Mm -hmm. um and maybe you can bring it back i don't know i'm not sure maybe you can uh, when you're done looking for what you're looking for Mm -hmm. you can check that out um christy just joined and he said uh, I once played with anthotypes. I think I, I read yesterday by reading about all these uh, other processes about it, anthotype. A print on the sun for a few days or weeks. So these are the anthotypes Chris is talking ah, about. that's cool. And they're, I can see they're in different colors. Oh, they're so nice. Very nice. These are, have multiple tones here. This looks so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely need to look into this because I was thinking that I would like to try maybe some sort of like cyanotype together with watercolor painting in watercolor paper mm-hmm. at the same time, like kind of mixing on the two processes. Okay. That could be nice. All right, so I'm reading here. An uh, anthotype uh-huh. uh, is an image created using photosensitive material from plants. Uh, this process was originally invented by Mary Somerville, who presented her research to Sir John Herschel, Herschel in yeah. 1842. Oy An oy emulsion oy. May, uh, is made from crushed flower petals yeah. uh, or any other light-sensitive plant, fruit, or vegetable. So I read about this. Sounds super cool. It sounds super cool because actually this was the this was the seed of the idea of the cyanotype in Herschel's mm-hmm. mind because Herschel developed the cyanotype in 40 in the end of 42 and it's a very similar process so he actually got the idea that and experimented as well with the making this uh, the, basically the sen- sensitive material actually comes from a natural 
source from mm-hmm. a plant. Um, so that would be really nice. I didn't, I didn't know actually that the extracts of those plants could be that light sensitive. Yeah, here I'm reading what you need to make an antotype. Petals from a colorful flower, berries, or other plants. A mortar and pestle or electric food blender. A glass container or ceramic bowl, a bowl for mixing ingredients. They forgot a space in here. Water, distilled if possible, or alcohol. A cheesecloth, coffee filter, cotton cloth, or very fine mask, mask strainer. Mm-hmm. Brush, art paper, glass clip frame, or contact print frame. Large positive or negative. A large size positive or negative or items to make. For Okay, so here they're talking like you can make a transparency, basically, of a picture that you already yeah. take, uh, took. And if you have a printer that can print on transparencies, mm-hmm. you can make a stencil and put it on top of the paper and make a print, a contact print of that. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can just use... Uh, other objects to place on the paper. Chris is saying that you need sun, a lot of sun. I yeah. guess it's because the ISO was, should be so, so, so low uh, for these materials to change the chemistry. Chemi- Basically, it's all chemistry. It's like sun, UV light is able to change the chemical status of those components and then they change and they become visible or they change how visible they are or something like that. So, in principle, anything that would react to UV light would be able to be done photographs this looks so cool i will make sure to leave this uh this page i mean i just uh, googled antotype and it's it's the first one alternative photography uh alternative photography.com but i will leave it in the description as well so you guys can check it out miguel says i saw (laughs) two probably i mean i wonder if you can do it with no sunlight because in sweden it's a bit tricky i mean i the thing is that it depends w- to which spectrum that the chemicals are sensitive to, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is UV light, but you know these lights don't have UV, no. so the normal processes with silver halides they react to other sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, X rays are actually photographs that they only the se- the material only reacts to the X ray, mm-hmm. right? Like so, all these processes what in what it is is that you are able to change the chemical status of a chemical using a wave. Mm-hmm. So it's What's reacting it? to a specific uh, wave. wave or a specific Wavelength. spectrum of no. the light. Yeah. Uh, a frequency. That's, that's when we're using light, but mm-hmm. for example, sound also has waves, right? Yeah. And we use But different use frequencies. Yeah, I, I know. Think. But what I mean is that it used to also be impossible to print sound waves, right? Mm-hmm. But. I'm I'm getting a bit no I'm not getting confused but I'm mixing things that are not really the same thing. All right. So CM is saying um, five minutes in the sun in the summer, fifteen in winter. Really, I thought it needed much more time. For cyanotypes. Yeah. Well, if it's like that, it's good. Then we yeah. can. Yeah, I thought it was in a couple in a few hours. We can do. I've seen I've seen I think I've seen only one video of somebody making the their own thingy, and then placing a stencil on it and making a picture. Mm-hmm. And I think, if I remember correctly, they left it for a few hours. But I'm sure uh, they tested it, like CM tested it, and uh, and uh, you can print on leaves, and depending on the leaf, it might need less sun. Uh, also, this procedure have m- 
more detail. We will definitely be trying this. And I hope this, for other people who never tried this, I hope this is encouraging you also to try it out. We have three people in the chat saying it's really fun and easy to do. So I, I really think that's all try. the encouragement you need to I really want to try. Give it a we show. have a balcony that gives that we have a lot of light through the yeah. day, so it would be very nice. Actually, um, we got a comment before, so we just don't lose it above mm. that we can answer after we're done talking about this topic by Monkey. Okay. I can copy it. So. All right. And I'm back to looking at uh, photos from Anna Atkins. Mm -hmm. You can see she got really creative with these and they're so beautiful like that's one of the things that really got me excited about this do you remember we about it like a week or two ago we were in some mall in some place i'm not gonna like say specifically where because i'm gonna bash them <laughs> <laughs> and we saw these we were on an escalator and on the wall there oh, was yeah. these uh frames with actual leaves which are actually fake leaves but were they fake leaves they are fake leaves and so there was these leaves uh, inside frames, like I think on plexiglass or some kind of glass. And they were basically making like uh, paintings, but kind of like cyanotype, but with the actual leaf. They're using the leaf mm -hmm. as the material mm. and the wall behind it as the background, since it was transparent. And the compositions were so really ugly. bad. And all of the frames on the corner, they did have like a like a designer like a watermark mm -hmm. kind of yeah. thingy they had a, a what do you call it a badge yeah a badge with the information of the studio who made this and the and designer I was like, and it's like you should have left it <laughs> you should have <laughs> left it blank i think a kid picking up leaves from outside and putting them together for a collection it looks more creative than what that yeah, person they did were, <laughs> they were a bit dumb they were nothing like this i really like this one mm-hmm and you can see, I really like the roots, the, the way she utilized. I, I think these are the roots, right? I I think it could be a, yeah, part of the the part of that the plant that is underneath the ground, yeah. She had very nice handwriting too. <laughs> yeah, there was this one. Look at this. Lucky. This one, speaking of handwriting, uh, when I zoom in, it doesn't you work see so it. well. British? A British algae volume three. Yeah, she did five different volumes of the. Course. And this looks like she used uh, small leaves to to incorporate in the. That's so nice. In the in the font, yeah. like this is definitely, I don't. I'm not sure now at this point. But it's it's hard to tell. It could have been that she aligned something like one of the roots or mm -hmm. a stem or something mm -hmm. like that. But these are certainly leaves here. And something curious about her making these volumes, she signed the copies of the books as AA. Mm -hmm. And actually, the, the work that she did didn't get to be so famous or so known back in the days when she made it. And it was put on some libraries, but then it was kind of forgotten. So then when some people that were into art and into science, they discovered back these, uh, these uh, collections of prints and books that she made, they were posing that the author of this was someone that signed as anonymous amateur <laughs> instead of Anna Atkins. And then there was a little bit more investigation and then they found, no, it was this woman. She was a botanist. She was actually the daughter of a pretty famous scientist as well. Mm -hmm. She was very um, 
uncommon for the time that she was born in because she got an education that a lot of girls were not really able to get because she was so close to to her dad mm. and uh, learned a lot from from him as well so she was always like very still about collecting and learning and understanding the natural world and that wasn't that common back in the days so i'm very happy that they found who really made this <laughs> this work and this uh, is a, I think it's a historical point in in the history of photography and science, both of them. Absolutely. And I love how these things connect sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I love how these things look. <laughs> I, I I mean I the, the coincidence of me being remember how upset I got yeah, about those yeah. frames, and then I look at something like this that wasn't even made to be art it was just uh, as you said it was a, a tool for learning for for science not mm. for for botany not for uh, art, art in a sense yeah but it still was it's so tasteful and beautiful mm -hmm. it took really long time for photography to get this artistic name in its own right mm. so i was thinking that uh, what do you think uh, uh, i mean i want to keep looking at these but we also wanted to cover another photographer should we jump in now or should we maybe finish these ones? <laughs> Do you have any more? Uh, I don't have any more trivia. Trivia, no, not at the moment. Uh, there was not so much information about her. Apparently, she did have another camera, but none of the photos that she took with those cameras made it through history. Mm. Uh, she used to spend a lot of time with another friend, female friend as well, and they were like sharing tips and trying to take photographs of different things and they collaborate in each other's projects so i imagine them having a lot of fun together with uh, new photography processes and taking photos and i'm very happy these people like her existed <laughs> i agree this looks like a like a cover it's so beautiful that's a fern i i would say yeah there's a lot of things does happening. it say there the, the species i, I think it's more than one. Oh yeah maybe it doesn't say that. Yeah, no. I think this is a the the cover compound. Yeah. Yeah, the cover is so pretty. It's so cool, and here, like, she used some kind of stencil mm, to, uh, make, the, to mm. make the type, because you can see like a varying density on uh, on the edges here. Yeah. And this is that composition is so cool. It's so cool, right? Uh, all of these, I think, they were. So made there is an similar. oak here, and there is a yeah. All right. Uh, the link for this uh, page that we're looking at is in the description, mm -hmm. as always. Uh, this one I'm just going to slide. And also, here. there is a link to a page where it talks a little bit more about the making of this book, which yeah. was the first photographic book. You're talking book about ever. the Wikipedia page. Uh, the, and there's another link as well. Okay. I grabbed the ones that I found before we started. Uh, we double check if we have them all in there. What is this? It looks like parsley. Mm hmm. Kind of. Can you recognize the uh, the scientific name? The species name. We can't hear you. You're far away from the mic. Adiantum tenerum. Uh, no, but maybe like barley or something like that. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> on the audio version, this is one of the times that uh, we're just looking at I stuff and we had, you don't have uh, yeah. so much to say. <laughs> so we apologize about that but these things are really cool and it's hard to keep talking over them but 
we did have another photographer we wanted to talk about today. Yes. And uh, do you want to tell us more? Well, I mean, you look into him a little bit more. You were through the website, which we have I linked did, below. But we both know that I can't read. Yeah, I d to be honest, I'm surprised because in the website, in the biography, there is no more description of his biography, but a bunch of dates about things that they that they did photography-wise. So there's no much about why he started doing photography or not. What I read is that these artists, uh, I think you pronounce it really nicely. I don't know if I can pronounce it the same way. Yeah. Babien U. Babien U. Babien U. I think so. I mean, I don't know. It's Korean. I don't speak Korean. It's it sounds. You know, help us. You know, help us, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that uh, the idea and his lifelong search for finding a Korean icon through photography is what has drove him to do the photographs that he has done. Mm -hmm. So that's the main arching theme: is what does it mean to be Korean? What does Korea mean in terms of of a visual? Mm -hmm. representation so he has worked a lot with uh, pine trees because he says pine trees are everywhere in south korea uh, so a lot of the work is representing forests and trees but also seaside scapes and other um, natural representations basically not so much urban and things like that i don't believe i you'd look through the website more than i did yeah i was trying to capture the images uh before i had to run and bring the light back from the electrician, this light, because I left it to, to get fixed, and it wasn't fixed. Uh, but <laughs> hopefully it might be fixed. Um, it works fine now, but uh, I I wanted to do other stuff with it, you know? I wanted to, to go up to 5,500 Kelvins, <laughs> and it doesn't do that anymore. Well, I mean, we don't look that bad. Do you think, you guys think we look bad? Tell no, us no, if now we it's it, working. It looks good. Yeah. Now it is working. I mean, if we look bad, I'm sorry, we can't do anything more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the right question to ask, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, says that it's pronounced Be Byung -u. U. Okay. So this is who we're looking at, Be Byung -u. Uh And I think this one was probably shot on some kind of slide film, because I don't, I or. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I've seen some other photos that were uh, from the work that were colored that we're going to be looking at. I don't know. Like those photos, the ones you just show, like it, like when I look at it, it, I feel like I'm inside. Like I feel attracted to the to to the landscape. Like I'm getting inside and then surrounded by it because of the curvature and the the effect that it has. It's very weird. <laughs> This one is probably one of my favorites of this uh, of this collection. Uh, they were split into collections mm -hmm. on the website. Uh, these uh, five photos were titled SNM. Uh, I'm not sure what it stands for. It's hard to tell you anything about what any of them stands for. There wasn't so much on the website. Uh, let me show you the website really quick. So if you go to works and here you hit SNM. The reason why I downloaded, as you can see, they take forever to load. Mm -hmm. Although they're cool, if you look at the website, you can see which year every photo was taken. And I noticed that um, they're pretty, he, they were pretty consistent. I mean, 2019, 2014, 2006, these photos look very similar. They look like they were taken on the same day by the same person. 
Um, Maybe he he worked in themes and blocks, you know, like he was exploring this. What? How do I represent Korea visually? And then for a while he worked on on the seascapes and then he moved into working with the trees in a specific way like you know so maybe he was very compartmentalized in in his uh, in his uh, picture making that's why they are all like let's say from 20 years of work 10 years of work within one of the projects here's what i like the feeling that i got from these photos i really like these photos i really really like these photos and i feel like this person knew exactly what like it's they're a master of exposure control mm -hmm. they knew exactly what they were doing with every exposure and not just that it's because here's the thing about exposure a lot of people when they go out and shoot they're always trying to meter to, to i feel like the, they it, there's two different ways of you working with a meter either the you use the meter or the meter uses you <laughs> I know what you mean. And hear me out. Because the meter is always trying to tell you what is middle gray. And when you use digital cameras, you're usually relying on weighted metering, matrix metering, all that kind of stuff, which is amazing if you're in a hurry, if you're just trying to get shots and not think so much about it. Really, really, really nice technology. But sometimes... And for me, it was when I asked, because I'm, I'm forgetful and sometimes I don't pay attention. I remember back when I started shooting in manual mode, I would forget to look at the meter. Mm -hmm. And I would take a shot and walk a little bit, the light changes, and I would take another shot. And it looks completely underexposed or overexposed or something like that. And I was still learning and I would always leave my meter in spot metering. And sometimes I am pointing the camera at a scene and I forget that I have it in spot metering and I'm pointing at the highlight of the scene mm -hmm. and everything else is dark and I end up with a silhouette. Yes. <laughs> and you might look at that and think, oh, I messed up. The way I remember I looked at it, it was like, oh. That looks cool. <laughs> this is a thing. Like I could use this as a thing. And for me, that was the early discovery of how to kind of use the meter to have something creative to kind of change the look in your camera immediately before you take it into post mm -hmm. and then apply changes to it to make it look more contrasty more high key more you know create a silhouette because you can't create a silhouette even if you have a perfectly exposed image mm -hmm. you can just take it in make a mask and completely drop the exposure there you go you have a silhouette but there is something about mm. creating it in camera, the way the light behaves, the way you allow it to come in through the lens. It's different. It's it, very different. It is different. I mean, again, if you're a master retoucher, you can just, or if you're a graphic artist, you can make this thing from scratch. I mean, that's not the idea here. The idea is the feeling that I got looking at these photos is that this photographer didn't, like, it's almost like he had taken the scene into his studio that's how uh -huh. much control yeah. he has over the light and i feel like that is something to be very like much inspired uh, from and learn a lot of i mean just go out and try to create something that resembles this mm -hmm. you know it doesn't matter what camera you use digital whatever you use 
just try to play with the light mm -hmm. pay attention to how when you change your exposure settings you get, you get a completely different scene and it's actually a very hard skill because we don't know how it is when he was there how he could see the scene mm -hmm. but he could see the possibilities of that scene for a photograph which is the next thing because maybe you are in that situation you're looking at this and then you probably are maybe seeing the the, the tree that is on the foreground more exposed and you are losing details on the highlights that are in the background for example but you then mean you with the eye with the eye mm -hmm. yeah that's what i mean but then you you know what light is how light is behaving there and then you can take the photograph you want and i mean again we're looking at what I'm thinking is most probably a scan of a print. Mm, mm -hmm. So there is definitely some darkroom uh, magic mm. that happened on these pictures that we're looking at. I mean, I'm looking at this one and the way this tree in the center pops out uh, pops out at you uh, and it's brighter than these ones in the background. Mm -hmm. There could have been a reflector. I mean, uh, he had all the technology to use the i mean i don't even know if these were shot on film or 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 digital and to be honest it doesn't really matter uh we talked about this before it doesn't matter as long as you like the end result um liking someone's work based on what material they used is a bit silly yeah uh sometimes doing something using a specific way or a specific method i have to mention this you know like we appreciate handmade stuff Mm. You know, like, so when you buy, let's say, a wallet and it's a handmade natural leather, whatever it is that people like, yeah, there is something there. There is a craft. There is something to be appreciated that this one was made by hand rather than it was made by a machine or 3D printed or whatever. Mm. But when we're talking about a photograph or a painting, like if you're thinking of a painting, you don't care what brand brush the person used or what, if you like it. I think it's beautiful, it doesn't matter. And I really think these photos are beautiful. And uh, there could have been a reflector, there could have been anything. This photo could have been digital and manipulated in Photoshop. But it's tasteful, that's all I can say. Uh, and it, it has, I don't know, it makes me feel stuff. You right. Know? Because it's like, I'm there, I feel the solitude, I feel, I don't know, like mystery. And then there is this foreground tree that is just presented in front of me. There is a story feeling within yeah. looking at those photos i feel like this like this is a f like this tree is just a tree but in this photo she's a star yeah it's more you know it, has I mean? a, it has a she's in the center stage it feels like a stage everybody's backing up she's in the front it's really beautiful and yeah. it's amazing how much you can convey with this it's so dramatic it is very dramatic uh, very dramatic very 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 cool photos thank you Yuno, for the tip yes um as always if you have anything that you want to you want us to look at i mean we're not critiques here our opinion <laughs> doesn't really matter but share your Sharing favorite things <laughs> and everybody would enjoy them exactly as well. i'm very happy to have learned about about this work yeah uh these ones are from the collection titled c mm -hmm. and this one is pretty obvious Again, this is just a very nice, smooth gradient. Um, here we have another one with mm. ships uh, in the distance. Um, very minimalistic. I really like this one. Um, 
there's something about choosing a frame mm-hmm. and I really appreciate and I like this choice the nice contrast very beautiful image and you will see with uh, the coming galleries that uh, they uh, this guy worked really beautifully with negative space and shapes mm. and very subtle powerful contrast uh, you will see what I'm talking about in a minute Huno says that he's a film photographer too yeah I mean, some some photos uh, they were obvious that they were from. I could see the grain, I could see the characteristics I mean, of the yeah. film. Uh, these ones, I'm not sure. And again, as I said, it it doesn't really like uh, play a big role to me in this in this context. Um, these are not necessarily my favorites. Uh, this one and the one after it, they're really this one I like more. Uh, the there is a mystery here mm. happening in the in the in the stones. What are those? Yeah, stones. They're pretty. It's stones, and I'm not sure if what we're seeing is actually a very long exposure of water moving, or some sort of fog. Yeah, some uh, fog or mist. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was probably a long exposure. Either way, mm. that's what I think because it's completely gone over here. It's. Uh, and hard to tell what time of day it was because yeah. of the varying um, exposure levels on these stones. I mean, this looks extremely bright, and this looks. It even quite looks dark. like um. It looks like a negative instead of a positive. You think? I mean, it could be. It could have been actually. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> this could have been in a negative, but looking. Let's get some clues from the one after uh, before it. Uh, you see this, you know when the waves crash on the shore, they foam up? Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing this is what we're looking at here is the the, the, the foam on a long exposure. Yeah. Kind of. But again, this is this looks like a single wave. It's, it's confusing. It is. <laughs> and again, assuming that, you know, there's a lot of work with the contrast done in the, in the darkroom. Mm. Uh, this next five photos are, um, I think this is one of my favorite galleries so far. Mm. These were titled OM on the website, if you want to look at the website yourself. Again, I would show you on the website, but um, it's, really slow. it's really slow. So here, if we click on OM, every photo is going to take a while. These were taken between 1999 and 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here we have another one uh, on the sea or the horizon. Uh, very high contrast. The foreground is completely muted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I think I'm seeing some reflections on the screen. But yeah, there is nothing here, right? It's black. There's no, I don't, I don't yeah. see anything here. Yeah. No. And um, very nice colors in the back. I'm assuming if it is film, it's a slight film because it's quite blue. Yes, and also the lack of dynamic range yeah. will also be indicative of mm-hmm. it. Um, really nice exposure. Very nice play with the shape. Usually a lot of these photos with the negative space that I see all, all over the galleries and stuff like that. They're usually like one of the previous photos that we saw earlier. It was uh, this one. It's a straight line. Mm. 
here we have some elements at play which make it more interesting mm -hmm. usually that's what you have and it makes it more like when you place an object here like let's say there was a you have a similar background but you have a human in the rule of thirds or in the center it's a very powerful composition technique mm -hmm. uh, but with this one when you don't have necessarily anything to break the landscape mm -hmm. i feel like this kind of slope with the curve is really 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 tasteful uh is that beautiful yeah another similar one we've seen some uh, similar ones uh I'm familiar with i can't tell you who did them because a lot of people did them i tried to do one when we were in kiruna do you remember the one that i like it more as a negative than a yeah, positive? yeah 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 oh that's a beautiful one and um i think some of the mac uh mac uh default ah yeah yeah, yeah. um wallpaper wallpapers i think the previous one or two versions mm -hmm. there were these sand dunes yes i yeah. like the sand dunes yeah so uh i like what uh hold on i'm gonna go to my sheet sheet and see how the, his name is pronounced what babe young you did here <laughs> <laughs> i think they did more um, daring compositions mm. when it comes to negative space than i normally see mm -hmm. i remember when i was in the in in the sounds in New Zealand, mm -hmm. this is the kind of vibe I wanted to get in the photos because you have these mountains very next to the sea and you have layers of them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want to get all of them with the different shades, you know. And for that, I needed to get the foreground like super uh, dark in mm -hmm. order to get some details of the ones to come. It was very interesting landscapes and um, it reminds me a little bit of those uh, scenes like that. I really like this one. I think this one is one of my <laughs> top favorites. Because this one, do you remember what I was just saying earlier about this one? Mm -hmm. If you don't have a, like, the like when you have uh, something like this, you have something to, to break mm -hmm. the staleness of the negative space. I mean, it can be, I'm not saying necessarily that every composition in that regard is going to be stale or anything, mm -hmm. but the lack of action happening, we have, we, we kind of broke it here with the curve. But here, it combined that cool, interesting curve with a powerful uh, subject mm -hmm. right there. And only three shades. That's all we get. We <laughs> have one tone of pure white, one tone of pure black, and a light gray this for our star, the mountain in the background. <laughs> really, really, really cool work. I'm really happy uh, I learned about this photographer. It it's kind of like it sometimes when you look at different works and you see all of the crazy edits and all the colors and all you get sucked into it and you wanna have these super colorful, super <laughs> you know. But it's nice to be reminded that you can make something beautiful with only three tones like this image. Yeah. Um for example. Uh now we have more uh color work mm. this Lovely. one is titled arc on the website the collection yeah, yeah this collection and i really oops i really like those uh they do definitely look like slide film mm. uh the tones are very nice and warm mm. this is a cool composition i mean there is not much to say about it it's really nice it's uh it's like a bystander's view of uh a scene you know like is there from the side you have the arcs things might happen people might come in might come out you know it's just 
it's very subtle but nice <laughs> i like it a lot i like i like that it combines two things it combines the fact that it's very leveled and symmetrical kind of mm. but at the same time you have this door here that breaks the, sim the symmetry twice in a way that is like it's kind of like a vortex kind of succeeding yeah because yeah, I know what you mean. it's 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 Isn't off center and then inside it there's an off center uh, secondary comp composition yeah that is filled with a gradient yeah it's like yeah like and uh it, it keeps up with this theme of make it, keeping it very very simple um here's one that is more action happening interior design sort of, sort of uh, I really like the different tones of the brown pillars inside. With the green outside. With the green outside. Very beautiful, very calm, very moody. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never been to Korea, but I feel like, I don't know. It just feels really like raw in a beautiful way. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not overdone. A lot of these scenes, you would see a lot of like uh, HDR stuff and the colors are ah, like yeah. jumping on your Super face contrasty as well this is this is saturated enough keep your saturated <laughs> saturation levels to these and you'll be good in my opinion i love this one really nice this is another one of the confusing ones a little bit yeah you no? think yeah like i don't know what's up what's down yeah excuse me <laughs> are you tired no. <laughs> no. Uh, this one is really nice. I think. Do you think it's upside down? <laughs> I I I don't know. Actually, I think it might be upside down. <laughs> or it might be a reflection in a lake or something like that. There is a lake, right? See. We are looking at some water. I think so. Um, <laughs> I mean. This is reflection. This gray stuff is is uh, reflection. But either this is coming down, or either this is coming down. <laughs> uh, having a very very dumb moment right now. It, no, but I confusing. think we're looking directly at a lake. That's what I think. I think we're looking directly at a lake. Mm -hmm. uh, these are uh, plants that are coming out of the water, and you can see directly their reflection. Yes, right here the water is so smooth yeah and then you have some branches from the tree coming down from the top yeah i mean oh this reminds me a lot of the this is certainly velvia when i was in japan like, there's no way it's not velvia it, i'm surprised is this korea i guess it's korea but it really looks a lot like japan Let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying the 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 the, the is no, I agree, it but similar I don't, feelings. I, I don't want to say they are the same because I haven't been there. Yeah, I don't want to culturally but it's, offend anybody. It's uh, it's uh, evoking the same kind of feelings that I had when when I was walking in those landscapes. So yeah, to speak. I mean, I agree. I mean, uh, we're not experts on uh, far far Asian um, traditional architecture. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, we had a comment here, like because like, Monkey commented that Japanese one is very nice composed, yeah, and then he knows, like it's the Korea. Those houses are also very similar, very yeah. popular there. Yeah, so I get that feel. I really like that it's a lot of like low ceilings, uh, op like near to open spaces. It's very visually cool to photograph. Yeah, I agree. There's a bunch more. Uh, 
in uh, seems what it what it what looks like to be a town. This is a tree that is split, I think, by lightning or by other force of nature. Yeah, um, it's incredible. I love the textures. Ah, oh, this one is so nice. Sorry. That one I really like. This this view kind of reminds me of the game Assassin's Creed. Uh, yeah, I was. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Although that was the first one, at least the one that I played was supposed to be in Damascus. Which yeah, I heard about that. My city. Yeah, and it didn't look like it. Mm. It looked more like Korea. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, uh. it kind of they try to make the Damascene uh -huh. houses look, but I mean, I, I know how Damascus look, and I uh. know how the old city looks, and it's not exactly like that. But I appreciate the 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 thought. The thought. Uh, the, um. Yeah. No. There was also another. I think, it was video like game. I would say it's something like if you. And that's the thing. Like I, I wasn't offended by it, but I would understand how somebody would be offended. Like so, a lot of times when you see our my culture presented, it's all often mixed with a Persian touch and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. And that's why I'm like sensitive about not saying so much about the, the similarities between Korea and Japan and all of these different mm -hmm. culture and cultures in the Far East, because I'm not so knowledgeable knowledgeable mm -hmm. about it. I mean, I already say so much stuff about photography that I might be not so <laughs> you know knowledgeable about but uh, yeah because my culture get kind of like mixed up with Persian and other stuff and uh, I'm not saying that it's it's one is better than the other and you shouldn't mix them no I'm just saying that if you're trying to make a game <laughs> kind of like try to be more accurate about it yeah but uh, yeah um those are it's very very nice I would love to go visit South Korea yeah, I mean, if you had, if you asked me, I don't, I, I would have, I could have guessed anything. I would have said probably in Japan as well. Yes, because maybe of because the it's the cartoons that I watch, and, and you are like also that. maybe I am more more familiar with Japan being photographed that way than South Korea. Mm -hmm. Just my own ignorance. So it's very nice that here we have a Korean photographer. like he's trying to represent Korea, and we're learning about how it looks and and how it can be uh, captured in photographs. Mm -hmm. And here we have another one. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what this is. It looks like some kind of an archive of some sort. Yeah, or something. I mean, it, it does look like an archive. It might be a temple. I don't know. With some, well, They look like books as well. Yeah. Right? Maybe Hugh can tell us if he knows. <laughs> uh, but again, very nice exposure. It's our intel. Uh, you know, with the composition, with the, what do you call this, uh, vanishing point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, well exposed at the end, beautiful work. I don't have, so I, I'm not qualified to critique this stuff, I don't <laughs> think. I love this one. This one is kind of very similar to the other one that I loved from before uh, here. Mm -hmm. But here we have a different approach where it's a, a well exposed uh, image. I think there's a red filter involved in this one uh, or an infrared filter involved because we have a darker sky yeah uh, and these hills and these tips it looks like it's snow but i think it's green because of the red filter or the infrared filter mm -hmm. it looks uh, very white and uh, i really like this i really like the infrared or the red filter look when it comes to landscape to give it this like bright greens and dark sky yeah, I, I think it's a beautiful alternative look. There is a lot of uh, knowledge to begin to know how the filters work, as we talked in the previous episodes. That then you now see a forest, like oh, I well, yeah, it's a dark sky. Probably it's been yeah. taken with. And I, that's why I I recommended on that episode is that if you're learning about if you're just getting into black and white photography, 
uh, and especially if you're going into film, spend your time learning about filters rather than testing different film stocks <laughs> because film, film stocks are not going to differ that much. And again, especially if you're not printing your work uh, and if you're just scanning, if you're printing, that's great. There is so much also to learn in, in the, the darkroom mm -hmm. about filtering the print. So Ilford makes wonderful uh, multi-grade paper, which... I didn't know so much about it, and as, as I'm studying, I'm learning how much you can affect your exposure by using different filters. There are a bunch of different guides on YouTube that you can go and watch and see the difference when you just make a straight-up print, and then when you use different contrast filters without any dodging and burning, mm -hmm. just point putting these gels under the lens or under the light source for a few seconds will make your images look very different. Very cool. And yeah, so that's my tip. If you're going into black and white, learn about filters. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you have time, also remember to experiment with this. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be doing that. We're definitely going to be doing it. That would be really nice. Look at those. They're so pretty. Right? Yeah. Uh, did we have anything else to cover today? Uh, we just had a question. Uh, well, you know, it's saying to bien Vion U did say he was in the dark room for a lot of his image rather than digitizing them. Yeah, so a lot of printing, I guess, involved in it as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows, especially looking at the, the, the first gallery, uh, this one. I mean, I guess that it might have been uh, digital just because of the sharpness. Now that I'm zooming in, it could be film. But even if it was digital, this is a person who's worked and mastered the dark room yeah in order to get in order to, that to level, yeah. even working digitally uh, uh they come out with something that looks like this so that's what i said why it doesn't matter how mm -hmm. it was done um traditionally yes this is a, a dark room looking result yeah but definitely. it can be imitated uh digitally i assume if you know what you're doing mm -hmm. but again you have to know where you're going as well what is it that you want to and achieve? Yeah. That's one thing that we talked about before, is that what matters, what tools you're, you're playing uh, or you're using, is that they will nudge you on a specific path rather than another mm -hmm. because of their, the abilities that and they... And the constrict constriction, yeah. both, both the abilities and the constrictions of the specific uh, tools. Yeah, it's a very important point to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so there was a uh, monkey actually ask, which I think is related to what we just were talking about it right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just about to buy some film for my 35 millimeter camera, and I'm wondering what the best black and white film is. Uh, sorry, I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, monkey, he's asking like, what is the best black and white film for 35? He's gonna go out and buy some film. Just whatever film you can find, I think. I mean, T Max. Yeah, I mean. Just find the film and buy it and yeah, try it out. True. And uh, I mean, Tri-X is really good. I really like Tri-X. Tri-X, nice. Uh, as a budget option. Um, not a budget, but like as a good priced, good result. Mm -hmm. A lot of people love HP5. If you don't want it to be super grainy, HP5 is going to be, especially in 35mm, yeah. is going to give you HP5 grain, which I'm personally not a big fan of. But a lot of people love that film. A lot of people recommend that film. It has a really good dynamic range. It's going to give you flat images. 
I think APX, um, Akfa APX 400 is going to be a, somewhat of a similar film with it's a, a more, more, flat. Pl- more flat, more pleasing grain. It depends on how you develop and how, and how you scan. So my advice is just get any film that you can find that you're willing to pay the price for. And, um, you know, just have fun with it. Uh, especially for your first roll, like so triax is going to give you medium contrast it's not going to be super contrasty like an like an ortho or uh, like um like a high contrast film and um, it's not going to be flat like akfa uh, or hp5 so that's i think that's you're going to get good images out of the box with triax i i really like triax so if you can get triax try with that but again if it's too expensive, you have accessibility to a cheaper black and white film, just try it. Maybe not Shanghai. Uh, I de- don't know. It depends on <laughs> how you develop because as far, as far as I know is that if... And these this is, I think, some of the people in the chat who are more knowledgeable than me on the subject will tell you how to develop HP5 to get different results, to get minimal grain or to get more grain, to get minimal, minimal contrast or more contrast. Um, you can push the film, but if you're first time and you're just gonna drop it at a lab, mm-hmm. I don't know how the lab can uh, is gonna develop it. What chemicals are they gonna use, and if they have options for pushing and pulling black and white film? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's so many different elements. That's why I'm saying just go talk to your lab. If you're buying online, just buy the cheapest, fastest thing you can get, and have fun with it. If you wanna play with it, play with filters. You know, you don't have to buy proper filters. You can just use flash gels or any filters that you have lying around and experiment and see what you can um, what you can do Uh, if i remember you're the one who got the um netta the nettar but also i think a 35 millimeter of some sort because he's saying a 35 oh he's asking for 35 yeah all right but it's also gonna be the first time so yeah hp5 you can't go wrong with hp5 it's 400 (laughs) speed i hate it but everybody loves it so i can't tell you not to use it um you might i mean pro pro uh, probabilities say that statistically speaking you're gonna like it as well because everybody else likes it yeah but if if i had to choose i would prefer triax over yeah, triax for sure <laughs> and it's not that much more expensive it's like in in swedish crowns it's like five crowns which is 50 cents of a euro yeah half a dollar difference or something like that that's where we get our film so it might be different where you are um well it's saying it's i'm not sure if it's 35 millimeter what millimeter is the netta yeah it's It's not not millimeter (laughs) (laughs) don't make that mistake it's called 120 film not 120 millimeter (laughs) um which is like i would say it's like six millimeters uh Uh, 61 61 61 yeah it's medium format yeah yeah so with that, HP5 is going to give you less grain because yeah. it's a bigger film. So HP5 is a good, is a good, is going to be as good as Triax basically in terms of mm-hmm. uh, grain. Yeah, no, the Netar is a medium format one. Yeah, uh, the one you have is yes. medium format. By the way, I've been looking at the Netars online. Mm-hmm. They're really beautiful. There is uh, many to you choose from, and some they don't have the best of the lenses, so the cheapest lenses are to be avoided because they tend to be very foggy now that so many years have passed. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I've been reading about it, uh, but it's nice. And you have six by nine, six by eight, six by seven, six by six, six by <laughs> four, five. Yeah, all the different formats. It's really cool. I think he has one of the latest models because uh, six by six. Yeah. When he was buying it, he was asking me on Discord. Yeah. 
and I looked it up really quickly. Uh, the, join uh, the other Discord as well that you're not in. I don't know if you're in the film photography Discord. People there, a lot of the users, they have Netar and uh, they will help you more <laughs> on uh, black and white. The link is in the description, uh, is in the description for everybody who's watching. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to talk to people about printing, all kinds of black and white, even color, but um, <laughs> we have some really knowledgeable people about black and white in the, yep. in the group. So in the full process. You can ask mm -hmm. them, they know a lot more than I do. Uh, anything else we have not covered today? Uh, not of what we had in the menu, and even we had a little bit more. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very nice episode, very nice hanging out. Yeah. I really enjoyed it as always. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Thank you for uh, watching. If you're still with us and you enjoyed it, please hit the like if you did like it. Uh, if not, no big deal. I know some people like to keep like uh, the the like page as a reference, like as a, a playlist. Uh -huh. So like the way that I do it, if I watch a video and I like, like it, it's because I'm saving it to go back to it later. Uh -huh. So if it's like that, I understand. If, if you don't like it as well, I understand as well. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if they're being here with us for an hour and a half i think they might be liking yeah. it <laughs> and uh, yeah we hope to see you again next week and we have some uh, cool things planning uh we hinted about it last week episode towards the end mm -hmm. uh, we were asking you to vote <laughs> but i think everybody who was listening was far away from the <laughs> from true. the keyboard or maybe listening with the delay but we're working on something, maybe a photo contest that we can all look at the photos together towards every, uh, uh, every let's say, like a month or so. We're still working out the details because we also want to have giveaways mm -hmm. for, the, for the winners. And we're working on that. And so maybe we will announce it. Uh, I don't know. How do you say? Maybe when we hit a thousand subscribers. Yeah, we're kind of close to we're that, right? Close. Share it with your friends. Maybe oh, that'd be nice. Then we'll get there closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe when we hit thousand, we can start doing contests on the giveaways as well, or yeah. like more than giveaway, a contest and then a prize. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it will be probably a monthly, uh, monthly, monthly thing, thing. So we have enough time to take in all the photos, and uh, you know, make maybe the prize something nice, uh, so we can afford to keep it running rather than uh, yeah you know it's not gonna we'll be see. a mummy yard see no, no. <laughs> uh yeah i'm just thinking about nico's giving away his mummy yard see. yeah that was coming but that was a one-year thing that was a the one. christmas yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, the christmas bingo yeah i told you how spanish that was to do a bingo right in christmas <laughs> i was like <laughs> i don't know if people are, ca are following what you're saying it's uh you probably know the channel nico's photography show yeah yeah and uh, he did a really cool giveaway at the at Christmas. Yeah, it was a Christmas bingo. So Christmas he did it bingo. from New Year's Eve, and actually. And everybody from the community sent gifts as well. So it wasn't just him. It was more, it's a yeah. bit of a mix between a bingo giveaway, Secret Santa sort of thing. So there was yeah. like a lot of prizes given by random people. It was really cool. Thing. It was very nice. Yeah, idea. stay tuned. I mean, Nico has a really cool channel. Check it out if you're unfamiliar. He does a photo news uh, every, every Tuesday. Week, every week. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. every Tuesday at 8 p.m. I mean, I'm I'm really impressed that he finds news to talk about every week in the film community. I tried to look for news and have a segment. Maybe he has insider information too. Yeah, so. he, he has connections. So yeah, if you're into that stuff, go check out the channel if you don't know it already. Um, Miguel is saying like us. 
Uh, maybe like yeah. a pins. <laughs> maybe yeah, like pins or a mug that says like. <laughs> we will see. We will see. I mean, hopefully, if the channel grows enough, why not? I mean, I don't care. Uh, I I would be really happy to give away Leicas if I could. Yeah, right. If I can <laughs> afford sure. it, for sure. For sure. Why not? Um, but until then, um, we really appreciate you joining us every week, and hope. You enjoy the show and you have a wonderful week and we'll see you next Friday for now. Yes, next Friday. All right. Bye, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye.